talking about being a disciple and talk to you about becoming a disciple maker. That's the session. The name of the session is Becoming a Disciple Maker. Now, remember, I, I talked to you about why we would want to talk about being a disciple. Because at the end of the day, if we're going to be a, dis, a disciple maker uh, and we're going to reproduce whatever God's produced, uh, if you don't like what you are or, or you're not a disciple, you're a disciple of something but not the person of Jesus, well, you don't want two of you, okay? So we need to make sure that we are disciples of Jesus. We're walking after and following him, his heart, his word, his ways. And as we defined, a disciple is a committed learner of the words and ways of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. And so now as people who are disciples, we want to also make disciples of others. And so my hope tonight is to lead you in the beginning stages of what it means and looks like to become a disciple maker. And we will continue that next week as we, as I already told you. And our journey uh, in becoming a disciple is fundamentally linked to being a disciple maker. I, I would actually say it to you like this. Uh, disciples of Jesus shape the present world, but disciple makers shape the future world. Christianity is a disciple-making movement. According to Jesus, after he rose again, he died, he rose again, he commissioned his disciples with his mission, which we're going to read very clearly. He commissioned them. He gave us his mission, his direct disciples, which has been passed down to us. We are missionaries. We are people that have received the mission of God. We're not just wandering through trying to figure it out, trying to just love God a little bit and, and love people the way the world defines love. We are people with a mission. We are on mission. Whether you're doing it or not right now, you are still, you've still been given the mission of God. And collectively together, it takes all of us to accomplish what some call the Great Commission or this mission that we've received from Jesus. And so we are a movement of disciples and disciple makers. That's what Christianity is. And if we're going to see generation after generation shaped by the words and the ways of Jesus, it means we have to recapture and get a hold of what it means to become disciple makers. We have to care about being disciple makers. Regardless of what part you play in the process of other people becoming disciple makers, we've got to care about this. And I know that in today's world, we care about a lot of causes. We care about getting water to people that don't have water and food to people that don't have food and shelter to those that don't have shelter. And those are good things. Those are humanitarian aids. And surely as a result of us receiving the gospel and being changed, we want to provide for people and we want to care for people. But we cannot let this um, shroud or cloud this call that we have of making disciples of Jesus. We can give food. We can give shelter. We can give clothing. Um, we can give water, but if we're not making disciples, if we're not passing on the words and the ways of Jesus, the next generation will not give food. The next generation will not give clothes. The next generation will not give shelter because the only reason that I do it is because I love God and he's changed my heart. I didn't love people before Jesus changed my heart. When my heart got changed because of the gospel, all of a sudden I wanted to do good works. I never wanted to do good works because I wanted to please God. That was never a concept that I had in my thinking. I know some people have been born and raised on that ideology that you need to please God or appease God or placate God. That's never been my journey. But what's interesting is, is that if we don't see people's lives changed by the gospel and help them understand who Jesus is, what Jesus wants us to do, 
the very good works that we often focus on in, in, in our Christianity, in our walk with the Lord, those things aren't going to be done in the next generation. And so it's important that we capture collectively a heart for making disciples. We, we are on mission to make disciples. That is what we are a part of. We are, we are locked into this Christian thing that Jesus has called us to. And I believe that it's, it's, a, it's a fundamental uh, issue for all of us, every single one of us, wh- whether you're the best at it or, or you feel like you're not doing it at all, we play a part. I'm not suggesting that you need to make thousands of disciples or hundreds of disciples, if that's even possible. But I think that if every Christian could somehow influence other people in the words and the ways of Jesus in making disciples, as we're going to talk about tonight, if we could do that to whatever degree that we are able to give away what we know, to give away what we have. You're not responsible to give away what you don't have. You're not responsible to teach people what you don't know. But we are accountable and we are responsible to pass on what we have. And we've got to figure out how to do that. We've got to figure out how to do that. It'd almost be like if somebody gave you a million dollars for the sole purpose of you distributing that money for, for the betterment of other people, to provide for them, to care for them. Well, what Jesus has given us in the gospel is more than enough. It's more than we need. And so what we're trying to do is find a way to distribute what God has given to us so that other people could benefit from the very thing that we have been changed by. And that's what it means to make disciples. And so that this continues to grow and reproduce in the name of Jesus. I mean, if you think about it, when Jesus walked with his disciples, and then he dies, he, he, he dies, he rose from, the, he rose from the dead. After that, he tells them to go do the very thing that he did with them. And now here we are today as disciples of disciples of disciples of disciples. I mean, we're still trying to do, I mean, we're trying to do this thing as best we can, but that is, that is where we are. We are recipients of this very thing. And so to not care about that would be, would be grave error, in my opinion, grave error, just to care about good works and not the focus or the very important um, focus of, of making disciples. It, the thing that I was thinking was a disciple produces fruit, but a disciple ma- maker produces fruit with seed in it. It's reproductive. That's the point of being a disciple maker. Listen to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. We call this the Great Commission, and it's very important. We're going to actually break this down as much as we can. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, these are his direct disciples, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe. Some translations say obey. Teach them to obey. All that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you, we know in the person of the Holy Spirit, I am with you even to the end of the age. Jesus shared these words with at minimum the 11 uh, disciples, the 11 apostles, who had walked with him for three years. These were some of his last words, not necessarily his very last words, but some of his last words. Some of his last words to his direct disciples was, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. This is so fundamental. Please notice that this was a command of the Lord, and they were ready to receive a command of the Lord. This wasn't uh, obligatory, like, uh, I wonder what he's going to tell us. You know, I'm so fearful of that. This was like, what, what is it that you want us to do? They, they were on edge. They just saw a resurrected man. 
We're willing and ready, Jesus, to do what you tell us to do because we walked with you. You died. You rose from the dead. You're the real deal. Tell us what to do. We are ready to receive. Let's do this. Okay, so they're ready to receive, and he says to them, go and make disciples. You and I have got to position ourselves in the very same way. This is the word of Jesus, go and make disciples. And what I would say to you before we continue is if you don't care about this, you've got to admit it. I'm not not saying, like, you don't care about the Bible. I'm saying if you haven't had a heart for making disciples, if you haven't thought through this, if you haven't prayed earnestly, like Jesus told his disciples um, when he talked to them about the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly that God would raise up harvesters or workers for the field. How many times have you prayed earnestly? And I'm, there's only two other times, I think, where Jesus says, pray earnestly. I mean, when's the last time you prayed earnestly? God, raise up workers for the field, the, the work that's needed for people to come to know you. I, I pray that every Christian, everybody that names the name of Jesus would care about the world and knowing who you are. When's the last time you felt that you were earnestly praying for that? See, that's what I'm saying is that part of Uh, of becoming a disciple maker is recognizing that we haven't been. Part of becoming a disciple maker is recognizing that we haven't been and we haven't been that concerned. We haven't been that concerned about passing on what God has given to us. And so capture that. Capture that right where you are. And instead of this like, well, I've got nothing to give mentality, just shake that off of you. You've got something to give because the giver is good and he's given you good things. You've got something to give. And so we've got to remove ourselves from any kind of thinking that would so- somehow be like this inferiority complex or fear. None of those voices matter. What matters is the voice of God. The voice of Jesus to us is go and make disciples. Here's some important things that I want to share with you from this passage. You'll see them on your notes. The first, just from this passage, these are just observations as we share about or talk about in how to study the Bible. These are just observations. The first is disciple makers have authority. We're not only commanded to do do this, but we are authorized. He, He says all authority, all authority, the right to act, the right to act with the corresponding power to do so. I have the right and I have the power right alongside it to do this very thing. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. And then, and then he says, go, which means I'm giving it to you. I am authorizing you as the author to go and do this. So you're not doing this in, in your own accord. You're not doing this of your own volition, of your own opinion, of your own desires. You're doing this at my very word, and I've authorized you to do this. I, I wonder if often we get... St- We get stuck doing things that we're not authorized to do. And we're not doing the very thing that Jesus calls us to. Or at least it's not the center of it all. And and hear me when I say this to you. Good works are good. Amen? Good works are good. That's why we call them good works. There's bad works. This is not a class where we talk about bad works. Good works are good. But good works without good news don't reveal a good God. I'm telling you, it's the way it works. There's one passage that says, Let your light so shine among men that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And it's an ambiguous ambiguous passage that some people use to kind of just say, We just need to go about doing good, and as we live good lives and do good things to people, they'll know that there's a God in heaven. Listen, the disciples 
gave the gospel. The disciples did good works. The disciples, they were an empowered church. The hope of the world is not your good works or my good works because that's going to be dependent on me having a good day, which sometimes I do not, okay? It's going to be that you and I believe that there is good news because there's a good God that sent his son to die for us. He lived a sinless, perfect life, and he died, he rose again so that the whole world could come back into relationship with God, which is what we were created for. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the good news paired with the good works that is transformative for the society around us. What I want to tell you is we've been authorized. This is our responsibility. We've been given authority and power to do that, and the, and the mission rests on us. It, followership turns into leadership. This is what's important. As we are followers of Jesus, we become leaders of others. Not, I don't think that, the, that we should be out there trying to lead everybody. I think if we're good followers of Jesus, eventually we will become leaders of others. Because why? Because we're following the one that everybody else needs to follow. And that innately makes us a leader eventually. It's important for us to get this. Now, the thing I want to say to you about we've, disciple makers have authority or have been authorized is simply this. It is our responsibility. It is our spirit-empowered responsibility. To try to get out of this is wrong. Don't try to get out of this. Try to get into this. This is Christianity. This is Christianity. We're authorized to do this. We're empowered to do this. We don't want to get out of this. The second thing is disciples or disciple makers have a heart for all nations. The mission of God was meant to spread beyond the Jewish people. Now, Jesus had to reveal this to the disciples a couple times because it seems that they didn't necessarily get it. As Jewish people, they, they, they of course, thought their Messiah was going to come. He was going to call Israel along to his side and to rule and reign in that generation. That obviously wasn't the plan. He didn't come with military or political power. He came as a, as a suffering Savior who offered his life of his own choice for the, whole, for the sins of the whole world. And that's when Jesus says this. He says, make disciples of all nations. I kind of think they missed the all nations part. You say, how do you know that? Because when you read Acts chapter 10, Peter has to have this vision, this massive vision like trance experience to have him reminded that God wanted him to reach the Gentiles. And he realized in this moment in Acts chapter 10, all of a sudden, I realized that what God has said is clean is clean. I mean, it was like all of a sudden that I should reach the Gentiles. This is awesome. And But didn't he just say it right here? Didn't, didn't Jesus say, make disciples of all nations? God cares about all people. He died for all people. He loves every nation, and he calls us to love every nation as well. The Abrahamic covenant in uh, Genesis 22, listen to this. Before there was a Jewish people, this is what God says to Abraham. In your seed, verse 18, Genesis 22, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Isn't that interesting? Later on, uh, Paul actually helps us to understand what God was saying to Abraham in so doing. By, a by God saying this to Abraham, he was actually prophesying about another day, which you and I are living in. This wasn't, it wasn't just about the Jewish people, although the Jewish people have a very special purpose and specific purpose and covenant before God. I'm not taking that away. God set his people apart, his oldest friends, Israel. He gave them the commandments, the temple, the priests. 
and he called them to preserve the messianic line, to bring forth Jesus, who was a Jew when he came into this world. But Jesus came forth, and he gave his life for all people. And that's why Jesus himself says, make disciples of all nations. He also says in Mark 16, preach the gospel to all creation. Matthew 24, he says this, verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. The gospel is meant to go to all the nations. Discipleship is meant to be done in all nations to all nations. So Jesus tells his disciples to make disciples of all nations, and that's what it means to become a disciple maker. You and I need to carry the nations on our heart. Now, I would use this opportunity to talk about some of the rumblings this week, which I think have been somewhat interesting. But I've just suffice it to say that regardless of what's happened this week, regardless of what people are fighting about or why they're fighting about it, we need to be disciple makers who care about the nations. I'm not a policy maker. I'm not in politics. And to be really honest with you, I don't have a burden to read every single day to figure out what's going on in the world. I am responsible and accountable for the people that my eyes see and that my ears can hear their voice. And if I'm not doing that and I'm spending all this time trying to read all of these things and say all of this stuff, friends, listen, keep yourself focused as a disciple of Jesus. We are responsible and accountable for the people in front of us. If we're not even getting that right, I don't think I want to have a bigger voice about what's going on in the collective world. Amen? I'm convicted about what's going on in my sphere of influence. Now, that offends some people, but listen, I don't think the world's going to be changed because I got a lot of really cool Facebook posts and my argument's a little bit better than the next person. I think the world's going to be changed because we're raising our children, our sons and daughters, and we're actually uh, influencing the people around us in the name of of Jesus, with the words of Jesus. I think that's what we need to be focused on. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not apologizing for that. What do you think of this? I haven't really thought of that. I don't know. Sometimes that's kind of my opinion. Well, that seems irresponsible. To you, it might. To you, it might. But to me, whatever happened, listen, listen to me. (laughs) You are, but listen again. Whatever happened, Whatever happened to men and women of God taking some time to seek the face of the Lord, to seek the voice of the Lord? Why has that all of a sudden become irresponsible to not have an opinion so quickly, so, so, uh, so, so compulsively in the moment? I, I need to speak up. I need to say something right now. I need, I need to. That sounds like compulsion to me. It doesn't sound like something filled with peace, something filled with wisdom. I, I'll tell you, it, it took me like three or four days to even read through some things. I don't even know how people were able to. I I don't even know that they did. You know, you and I, what we need to do is we need to make sure that we're people that are following Jesus and speaking loudly the things that he is saying. Not saying what we think he would say, but we're saying what we know he did say. That's important for us. And don't lose the true north in the midst of what's going on around you. Consistency. Remember what I talked about last week before things got inflammatory? I, I actually looked back on it and felt like, man, some of that was just prophetic. And I wasn't like trying to be prophetic. I was just saying that we need to have a true north in rocky times. You know, people aren't going to remember like some of our, our quips and our quotes, but they will rem- remember a consistent life. 
When people call me, they, they don't call me because I had a really cool thing to say or do on Monday. They call me because I'm like an anchor. And for the last 17, 18 years, I have been the same person to people. And they call me if they, if they want prayer or if they want some advice or wisdom or what do I do if I'm in this situation. That's why people call me. So I'm not going to change because something all of a sudden is blown up. We need to lead through things and we need to lead through them well. But I would encourage all of you to have a heart for the nations in the midst of what's going on and pray for the nations. And this week I've prayed more for refugees than I think I can ever remember. Because the first thing I had to recognize was I haven't fully had a heart for I mean, I have, but I haven't thought and prayed very much for refugees. So I wasn't going to all of a sudden start having um, some kind of opinion that I really hadn't really been thinking about and praying for. So I just started seeking God this week. And uh, I remember I woke up one morning just praying, Lord, give me a heart for the nations. Uh, let, this, um, let this be a catalyst to me in, in my life. Let me humble myself to you about where I'm really at. He, he know, you know, the cool thing is God knows where you're at. Isn't, isn't that something? It's amazing to me. And no matter what we say or think or, or what people think about us, God knows right where we're at. He knows everything that we're doing and not doing, and we're responsible and accountable to him. Disciple makers have a heart for all the nations, and it's not, uh, it's not a cultural thing. It's not a political thing. It's a spiritual thing to care about every nation. Disciple makers baptize people. Isn't that what he says right here? He says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Can I read you some verses about baptism? Because we need to get back to the Bible on baptism. Listen to this. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Peter had just preached a message as a Holy Spirit-filled man. He just preached a message. 3,000 people end up coming to the Lord. But listen, right after he preaches this message, on the day of Pentecost, verse 36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, can you imagine him saying that to the crowd? Let all Israel know that God, <laughs> that God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, listen to the response. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do to be saved? And listen to what he tells them. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I could go on and on, and I will. I'll give you some more verses. But in the early church, they focused on baptism right alongside salvation. That's why some people have mixed salvation with baptism. In other words, people, some people believe that you need to be baptized in order to be saved. Now, I don't believe that whatsoever. I don't believe that's what Scripture teaches. But I would not want to take away the emphasis and the importance of baptism. The Bible has an emphasis on baptism. Jesus said, baptize people. And so we need to care about that. It's something that we, it's very vital to our faith. You say, well, Ben, what does the Bible say about that? And I'm glad you asked because there's more verses. Acts chapter 8, verse 12 but when they believed Philip, preaching, Philip was preaching in Samaria, when, when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God as he's preaching and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Here's, here's um, Philip preaching in Samaria. He's having incredible results. People are giving their lives to the Lord, and they baptized them. That, it was just one after the other. That's, that's the way that, that it happened. In, uh, Acts chapter, uh, in Acts chapter 8, verse 36, Philip was talking to an Ethiopian eunuch, is what the Bible refers to him as. 
and he ends up talking to him out of the book of Isaiah. And this is what it says in verse 36. As they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, after Philip had been talking to him out of Isaiah about the Lord, the eunuch said, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. I mean, you just see this time and time again. It wasn't like people, just give your hearts to the Lord, just raise your hand. It was give your life to the Lord and get baptized. That's how it, that's how it worked in the early church. Jesus said, baptize people. Disciple makers need to think about, pray about, care about seeing people baptized. It's, it's fundamental. It's fundamental. And I feel like we're losing that. In the Western world, it's almost like uh, you can have a church service and you say to people, just raise your hand and people will raise their hand and they'll go home and nobody knows who they are. Just stop by our, our, our info booth. And I'm not saying that's wrong because we have larger gatherings and I get, I get that. I don't want to highlight what's wrong, but I'm saying like we are trying to, I know in our church and, and it's something we focus on, we stay in front of us, but we've got to focus on baptism. It's something that just, it goes, it comes right after uh, salvation. Now listen to this. In the first century, they would have something called a mikvah. They have, there are places of water uh, that several biblical regulations uh, specify that full immersion is required in ritual purity. Okay, so if you go to Israel, they still have some of these called mikvahs. And they're, some of them are basically covered. They, 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 it, it looks like a, maybe a bomb shelter might look in our culture. And you walk down these steps, and it's filled with water in, in those days. And you would essentially immerse yourself in water either before you would offer a sacrifice or it would be in response to some ritual cleansing. Uh, that's what you would go down into a mikvah for. There, there was, it was connected to ritual purity and ritual cleansing. There's at least three bi biblical regulations that would call you to do something like this. Also, if you were uh, a sojourner or an alien or a foreigner and you wanted to come into the community... Of, of Jewish people of Israel, and you wanted to live among them in community, you did have to also uh, be baptized. You had to go into the mikvah, and you had to, this was like a ritual cleansing to initiate you into the community. So they had a grid for this. They had an understanding of, of a mikvah. So when John the Baptist came, and he was baptizing them in the Jordan River, which is a dirty river, it was sort of out of the norm, and, and they were offended by that. They were offended that John was baptizing in the Jordan River. You have to understand the significance of John baptizing people in the Jordan River and not in the way in which they were used to. So John starts a new precedent, and then we see this continuing through Christianity. And so what baptism is, is not merely a ritual cleansing. It's an outward profession of an inward reality. It, it's not just... Um, it's not just a ritual, okay? It's more than a ritual. It's actually very powerful. It's spiritual. When I lead people through like a baptism class, which by the way, the only reason we do a baptism class is because we feel like people don't understand what it is. So I've had people criticize that. Well, why do you do a baptism class? Because in the early church, they would see people saved and just baptize them. Because they had an understanding. There was a mikvah. There was ritual cleansing. They had an understanding of immersion, baptism. In our culture, there are a lot of people that don't understand this. That we're, we're, we're kind of post-Christian era, and there are a lot of people that don't even know, why would I go into this portable hot tub and get dunked by a bunch of people that I've just met maybe a month ago or, or a week ago? I don't, know why I, would, I don't know why I would do this. I don't understand the significance of this. 
because culturally we don't have the same kind of grid. You, are you with me? And so we have a baptism class to explain. And I would tell you, if there's 10 people that come to my baptism class, I would, I would at least say three or four of them think that they're getting saved when they're getting baptized. That's that normal. So it's important that we have a baptism class because one of the things that I do is let people tell their testimony about coming to Jesus. And it also helps connect people to the church. And I think any step or anything that people can do to connect to the church, the body of Christ, is very helpful so they're not just part of the crowd. I think that they need to, their name needs to be known, their testimony needs to be heard, not just dunked in the water. That all needs to happen, especially in bigger churches. So that's what we do in the baptism class if you've never come. It's really important that we, that we do that. I love doing the baptism class when, when I do it. And so we say to them, this is an outward profession of an inward reality. We make sure people have given their life to the Lord. If you've given your life to the Lord, this is the next step according to and obeying the words of Jesus. And so here's another thing that I think about baptism. Baptism is a proclamation. It's a spiritual proclamation to principalities and powers. There's a significance to baptism that when people get baptized in water, it starts something in the spirit, and I don't know how to explain this other than just tell you that it happens. As a pastor, it's amazing how many people after getting baptized immediately or right after get attacked. Uh, it's, it's just this significant thing that if you've watched, if you've ever baptized people, you know this, that people get attacked. Not everybody, but a lot of people, it's like the enemy tries to grab them and draw them right back into their old life. That's what happens. There are people that I haven't seen since they got baptized. It's amazing. And so one of the things I think that we need to do when we carry a heart to baptize people, but also help people understand this is death to the old self. It's not just a ritual. It's a proclamation to, to the spiritual realm, demons, principalities, and powers that I am the Lord Jesus. I am for the Lord Jesus. I'm a follower, a disciple of the Lord Jesus. It's not just a, a, a ritual without reality. It, it, that's not what communion is either. And so we want to make sure that we understand that, that this is so much more than that. It's an outward profession, but it's like a prophetic proclamation as well at the same time. It's very powerful. And so what I would tell you as a disciple maker, if you're walking with people, a question that needs to come to your heart, have you been discipled? Or I'm sorry, have you been baptized? As a part of your discipleship, you would get baptized. That's what I meant, of course. But asking that question is a question, I, I feel like I ask it all the time. Have you been baptized? I ask that question. How many of you have actually heard me ask that question before? There's a few of you in here that definitely heard me ask, ask that question to somebody else, if not you. I try to ask that question because I've learned that we know the words of Jesus, but we're not asking people. We're making assumptions. Here's what I would tell you. This is really good advice. I know some of you got your pens out. I want you to write this down. Stop making assumptions. This is good advice, trust me. I've, I've, I learn this one all the time. Stop making assumptions. Just because people in church doesn't mean they're a Christian. Just because people talk the talk doesn't mean they walk the walk. Just because people act like or talk like does not mean they've been baptized or filled with the Spirit or read their Bible. It doesn't mean any of it. It doesn't mean that we care about the things that Jesus cares about. It doesn't mean we're we don't have secrets in our closet. Ask people questions, right? I, I love the supernatural culture. I love the prophetic, and I love the spiritual gifts. And I tell people that are, that are deep into that, and I've spent a lot of years in that stream. I've told people, like, 
hey, natural knowledge is a good thing, you know, because we miss a lot of it prophetically. <laughs> you know, like you guys can't even see what's in front of you. So, like how you could be around, and, and really, how can we be around people for so long and not even know if they're baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit or what, you know, where they're at with the Lord? I ask people, like, hey, where's that person at with the Lord? It's amazing what people say to me. You know, I'm not really sure. I'm like, you hang out with them every week. How can you not know unless you don't care? Or maybe you're not concerned about, or you're too afraid to ask. Maybe we're making assumptions. You don't have to make statements, but we've got to ask questions. Be diligent about asking questions. Have you been baptized? You have to care about this. Jesus said, baptize people. He said, in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. I actually believe that that's not just dunk people in water and say, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I, I, I think that's what we do. But I think it's not only seeing people baptized in water, but seeing people baptized in the Holy Spirit. Being empowered, being filled with the Holy Spirit. I was part of a ministry, and we would go into prisons and one of the things that they would tell us when we would preach, I mean, we'd go into prisons and be like all day. And they told us because there was so much diversity on the teams, different churches coming together and doing ministry together, they said, you can't talk about your personal persuasion of the Holy Spirit. And I remember thinking, like, why can I not talk about the Holy Spirit? I mean, if, if I talk about the Holy Spirit, the Bible says the Holy Spirit reminds us of the words of Jesus. The Holy Spirit uh, convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit actually um, reveals the things that Jesus wanted to teach his disciples. We talked about that in John chapter 16. I will, he will take from what is mine and he will reveal it to you. The Holy Spirit's going to exalt the Lord Jesus. So to talk about the Holy Spirit is not that we're exalting the Holy Spirit, it's that we're helping people understand who he is and what his role is. And I, I remember, like, I'm supposed to preach to people about Jesus and then I can't tell them about the very power that they need in order to live the life that I'm calling them to live? I mean, that just seems like counterproductive to me. So I didn't stick around long there. But um, because people need to be baptized, immersed into the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say this to you. Something I've, I, I have come to this week with everybody's opinion on some of our cultural issues, political issues, and, and, and some of them, obviously, they're crosshaired with spiritual issues, and, and, and they're blended right now, and people are saying a lot of stuff. The hope of the world is Jesus Christ, but it's an empowered church. Jesus said that he was the light of the world, and then as he was leaving, he said, you're the light of the world. We're the light of the world. An empowered church. It doesn't just mean an eloquent church. It doesn't just mean a very, very smart church. It doesn't mean a very knowledgeable church, a, 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 a real uh, on-it political church, or, or just a social justice, an empowered church. Jesus didn't just walk around and, and, and just do social justice good works. He healed people's bodies. I mean, I just don't know why folks miss this. Like, he prayed for the sick. He... he, he he taught with authority. He cast out demons. I mean, Jesus was empowered, and he empowered his people to do the works uh, that he did, the works of the kingdom. The hope of the world is an empowered church. And maybe the times in which we're living could help us come to a place of humility and need where we can recognize that we are not living an empowered life, and yet we are, we are in proximity to the one that would give us what we need in order to do so. Maybe these times are pressing us 
to our knees so that we can call on God to give us what we need to help people in the times in which we're living. Instead of just say all the stuff that people are saying, we need to be empowered right now. I mean, we need to be empowered right now. Because when this stuff falls and when this stuff crashes, we need to have what God's calling us to have. We need to have what the word says we have to give that to other people. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes people's lives. Stake your life on that. Keep preaching that. Don't get persuaded away from that. We have power. We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm going to keep preaching. And I actually think that, um, I think that we've lost the message of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And it's part of why we're, we're, we're just weakened. It's part of why we're just weak. Um, and I mean us. I don't mean you and not me. <laughs> I mean like us, like we're all in this together kind of thing. Okay. What does he mean? People ask me questions like, why isn't this happening in the church and why isn't that happening? I, I honestly believe that we need to become an empowered church again. That's what, that's what I believe the world is waiting for. The world is waiting for the empowered church to rise up in the name of Jesus, with the nature of Jesus and the power of Jesus. That's, that's what I believe. And I share that with you. Baptism, baptism in water, baptism in the Holy Spirit. Disciple makers teach the words and the ways of Jesus. This means that we instruct people in lifestyle. This is what he said. He said, baptize them in the name, name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe or to obey all that I commanded you. Now, there's a few words that I want to bring up, a few words that I think are important. First, he says, teach. This means we need to understand and communicate what Jesus taught. We need to understand and communicate what Jesus taught, not sound bites. That's what you hear culturally. You hear sound bites. What Jesus said, to love people. But he also defined love in those same passages. So we can't just make comments. We've got to go deeper than a comment. What did Jesus mean when he defined love? It can't be a quip. It can't be a quote. We've got to be people that know the words and the ways of Jesus so that when other people are quoting Jesus, we're like, wait a minute, that's not exactly what he meant when he said that. Not because we're trying to tell people they're wrong, but we want to get it right because that's what we're living on. We're staking our life on his words. So if somebody's just going to throw out little comments of what Jesus said, I want to make sure I know the context of what Jesus was saying. And so we need to be people that teach the words and the ways of Jesus. Teach them to obey all. So it's important that we become communicators of the words and the ways of Jesus in love and in humility as those who are also seeking to live that out, not as those who have arrived. <laughs> Like, here's the greener grass, and when you come over on this side of the fence, you guys will know that it's really green. No, no, that's not how we talk to people. We talk to people as those who are taking steps into the life, into the ways of Christ. All right, so teach people to obey. So the first was teach. The second word is all. He said teach them, teach them to obey all. Now, I would say to you that... Um, Part of the reason that the church gets into trouble is not so much that they're teaching bad things, it's that they're teaching part as the whole. All right, the devil, when you look back in scripture, the enemy didn't just misquote scripture, he partially quoted scripture, and then he would put a spin on it. So it wasn't just to say some kind of deceptive thing right off the bat, it was to deceive some folks into believing that parts were the whole. And I think that's how some people get off on um, bad doctrine or even how demonic doctrine is started. You see that there's mixture. 
All right, there's mixture. That's why we need discernment. I mean, if, if, we, if, if bad teaching was, didn't have any truth to it, it would be easy to see f- from a mile away. You just would see it. But the fact is, is that deceptive, demonic teaching or false doctrine has a mixture of truth in it. It has a lot of, it has parts and pieces and then some other ingredients mixed in and baked up together and served to you. And so you've got to know something doesn't taste right. You understand? You've got to know that there's some ingredients in this loaf that, that, that don't make a, the right kind of bread. You understand? This isn't the bread of life. Okay, I know what that tastes like, and this is not tasting like that. This is tasting like that gluten-free squirrel bread that some people in this room might eat. No offense if you're gluten-free, but I'm saying it, that, that's not... That's not my bread of choice, but I know I've done bread jokes. It's so bad, right? Jesus said, man will not live by bread alone. And sometimes I just stop there. I go, because he knows some people need a good steak once in a while. You know, of course, can't live by bread alone. Amen. But I think part of the problem is that we don't teach all, okay? When people represent the person of Jesus, they say, well, Jesus never said, and, and I actually want to get a shirt that said, things Jesus never said. That, that's just, if you want to buy me that shirt, please do. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But people will say that today. They'll say, Jesus never said. But one of the things that I think is like, okay, so do you believe in the Trinity? Yeah, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay, do you think they're not in unity? <laughs> so if Jesus didn't said, say something, does that mean that, like, he didn't believe what the Father believed? I mean, it's just kind of one of those weird ideas that, well, Jesus never said it, so he didn't, he, it wasn't important to him. Yeah, but we believe in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and they're in unity, right? So, so I don't think he was out of unity on the other stuff. So it just, I mean, food for thought. But there's just some things that gets people say these kinds of things, and you don't really think through them. You're like, yeah, he never talked about this issue. But it talks about it a lot in the Old Testament. And Jesus was a first century rabbi, and just because four gospels don't mention some things, he walked in the truth of that as a first century rabbi, and he didn't mention it because it was just matter of fact. It was the platform from which he stood on. I mean, so you can't make, these are assumptions that people make, and I think once again, we teach people part, so they end up with another message. We've got to teach people all. When you teach people all, not just again, not just to know, he said teach people uh, to obey all, not just to know all. And that would be the third word is to obey. We're not teaching people just to know. If it's another Bible study and it doesn't come into our life, if it's not moving into our lifestyle, then we're missing the mark. And that's important for us. So if people are getting arrogant and prideful and, uh, and, and just wanting to dissect Scripture, and here's what the Greek and Hebrew says, I mean, all that stuff's great. But if at the end of the day we're not living more like Christ, something's wrong. And so this is what we've got to be after. Teach people to obey all. So teach, obey, and all. These are those three words that are very important uh, right, right there in the Great Commission. And another thing is, the last thing is, disciple makers are empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is what he says after these very explicit uh, commands. He says, I am with you until the end of the age. I am with you until the end of the age. It wasn't a comforting statement. You've heard me say this before. I'm going to say it again. This wasn't a comforting statement. There's another time where Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, right, but I will come to be with you. He's saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's a truth. You can rest on that truth. He will never leave us or forsake us. We might forsake him, but Jesus will not forsake us ever. 
That's what he's saying to us. It's very important to understand that. But it's important that we get this, that he wasn't comforting them. He was saying, I've given you a very impossible task. If you feel the weight of it, you should. This is a big deal. Like, I'm going to go to be with the Father. He, he spent three chapters talking about how he was going to go and the Holy Spirit was going to come. It was a very important conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples. I'm going to go. I'm going to send you another helper, the Holy Spirit. This was so important to, to him to communicate uh, in, in, a, in a way that was above and beyond many other issues that he brought up. But he was saying this specifically to them in the context of the mission that he was giving to them. This wasn't about, I will never leave you or forsake you. This was, I've given you an impossible mission. I've given you the authority to do it. And I'm going to be with you to accomplish it. And And that leads us to understand something. God hasn't asked us to go and do something for him and then come back with the bounty or the results. Like, hey, God, I did what you told me to do, and here's the results. Look at this. He says, I want you to go and do this, but you're not doing it without me. You're going to do it with me. So we're not going to do something for God and then coming back and going, hey, look what we did for you. We're actually going out to do what Jesus began, and we're doing it with him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's important that we get that. And, and I think I shared this with you, like, as a charismatic, as a Pentecostal believer, um, at least what I think that means, it's important that, like, you know, when we get into these, like, settings and we, we worship God and we have the goosebumps and all that, you know, like, oh, I just want to worship God and feel his presence. And I believe that there's no greater way to experience the presence of God than in making disciples. That is where you and I encounter the presence. I am with you. If you're doing this, if you're making disciples, if you're baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, if, if, if you're going to go do this, if, if you're going to teach people to obey all, that's what you're about. I, I, listen, I'm with you in that. You're going to feel my presence in that. I'm, I'm going to be with you. I'm, I'm not only going to comfort you, I'm going to empower you. You're going to experience my sufferings, what it really means to go through the grievous process of watching people waffle and go back and forth. And gosh, like why so-and-so going through that? And why are they, didn't they listen to me? I mean, you're going you're gonna to know what it's like to be Jesus in a sense when he was walking with his disciples and they weren't listening to him and then they were listening to him. And then you're going to know what that feels like. I'm with you in this. See, this is what I modeled to you. This is what I did with you. And as you go and do it, you're going to actually understand some of how I lived among you, my disposition, my mindset. See, you have a different mindset when you're a disciple maker. When you show up to give and not just to receive, you have a different, you even come to church differently. You know, just think about it for a second. If you've got no responsibility and you're on your way to church, you get in the car, you're just like, okay, amen, just praise the Lord. You got a little 105.3 just bumping, amen, just push it out, there it is. A little praise break, a little praise break for some of you. I don't know how, I don't know how you roll, but you're just rolling, okay, you're just on your way, a little praise break going on. And then, and then you go by, you, you go by like one of your favorite stores, and you're like, huh, I wonder if they got a sale today. I wonder if they got a sale today. Yeah, maybe I can make it after church. Oh, I don't know if I got time, I got to meet so-and-so, got to meet so-and-so for a little coffee thing, okay. That's what we do. We do coffee things. Oh, amen. 
So you're like, well, you know, may, maybe, maybe I can show up a little late for the worship. Maybe I can just show up a little late for the worship, you know, because they got a sale going on. It says 40% off at Macy's up the street, 40% off everything. You know that's not really true. It's 40% off everything except for what you want. <laughs> that's, that's what I have found that to be. You know, that's what they pay that guy to shake that sign out. It's just say something, it says something different on the back. Read the fine print. But, hey, the 40%, it's just today only. It's today only. And if I don't go right now, I can't make. And see, so you might get persuaded, okay, to do something. But if you got to show up and preach a message or if you got to show up and be there for children or if you got to you have a responsibility. It's not the same. You're, you don't waffle. You know, oh, should I go or should I not go? I got a hangnail. I'm not sure if I can make it. I mean, you, I'm exaggerating, but do you get my point? When you have a responsibility, you don't feel the same way about being somewhere because you're a giver and not just a recipient. And that's where the game changes for everybody. That's where Christianity becomes something entirely different. And sometimes people are wondering what, oh, man, I just, you know, my purpose and my call and blah, blah, blah. It's like just get involved, you know, and start feeling a sense of responsibility. And you'll start experiencing Christ like you haven't before. Changes everything. Man, I just want to get people off the bench. And it doesn't matter whatever it is that you do necessarily, specifically, but just doing something. If you just got to be there to do ushering or you got to be there to do greeting or even if it's if you come to work because it's not just about church gatherings but if you come to work and you have a sense of mission on your life you have a sense of I am reaching the people that I work around I am like Jesus to these people if you have that sense on your life it matters if you show up on time because everything you do is an example all of a sudden and there's a responsibility that you didn't feel before you you had this on your life I'm a missionary what I do matters my example matters because it's going to match what I say or it won't match what I say. See, all of a sudden we're, we become responsible. You see, we, we're at home and we're like, I don't know how to reach people. What skills do you have? And have you even thought about the skills that you have, quite frankly, could be the very things that your next door neighbor needs? That's what we do when we go to a foreign mission field. We go to a foreign mission field. And we basically take, I'm going to take a medical team, people that, nurses and doctors, and we're going to set up a medical camp, and we're going to provide free health care for people that don't have it. That's what people do abroad in the, mission, in the mission field. Apply that same principle to the neighborhood that you live in. What skills do you have? And set up shop as a missionary. You are no longer just a citizen of America. You're no longer just a resident of Mill Creek. You are a missionary of Jesus Christ. You're a kingdom uh, of, of, or you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. This is not what you are anymore. You've got to change, uh, you've got to change your perspective. It's amazing where Paul talks about being an ambassador of Jesus Christ. He goes, we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, compelling people, begging people to be reconciled to God. This is what he says, right? And if you think about an ambassador in Paul's day, it's not like somebody that gets on a first-class plane, you know, gets a first-class plane ticket and flies to another country and has diplomatic immunity. <laughs> like, they didn't know nothing about that back then. You say something wrong, shoo, goodbye. But there was, this, that's not how it was. If you were an ambassador, you spent months going from the country that you were in to the country that you're going to. And that king that sent you had to be absolutely certain that you would not um, misconstrue his message at all. You had to be like a 100% recording to the country that you were going to. 
and you would have no ability to get in touch with the kingdom that you're from for months and months and even years at a time to represent the kingdom that you were from, the king that you were speaking for. And when Paul talks about us as Christians, he says we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, begging, compelling people to be reconciled to God because that's our true home. This is our kingdom. He's talking about you and I being missionaries, being people that are not of this world but are certainly in this world, that we are laser-like focused on one thing. He says, I, I aim to preach nothing among you except Christ crucified. He was not ashamed. All of the stuff that was going on. They had zealots in their day that were all about like dismantling Roman power. And they even had some on the team, didn't they? There was Simon the Zealot was a disciple. They had all kinds of people that were involved in all kinds of issues. And Paul was unashamed to say, I preach Christ crucified. And I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the midst of a volatile, hostile world. This is what I'm focused on. He wasn't ashamed. He died for it. He died for that one thing. That God called him to. And this is who we are as disciple makers. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit in every season and every circumstance to be just that. And it's where we're going to experience the presence and the power of God when we engage in this kind of work. I don't know what your perspective is. I don't know what your upbringing is. I don't know where you come from. I don't know what you've been taught. But I know this for sure. If you today embrace the fact that you are a missionary, your life will change. Your Monday morning will change, your Friday will change, your weekends will change. There is no vacation from God. When you go on vacation, you are still on mission. Amen? It doesn't mean you won't have fun. It just means that what you do, you do as unto the Lord in every circumstance of your life. And we're engaging this together. This is what we're after. This is what we believe. This is what Jesus called us to. He called us to an all-in life. And that's why we spent three weeks talking about what it means to be a disciple. Because whatever we've been taught isn't necessarily true. We see Jesus call people to discipleship. And he, he did not mince words. He called them to an all-in life of following him. He said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You want to follow me? I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. You good with that? See, but some gospels preach like you're going to be, you're going to be set up for life. I mean, you're going to have some, your pockets are going to get lined, man. You're, and uh, all good things are going to happen to you. It's like magic. It's like, you know, the blessing of the Lord is, is, is materialism, which by the way, Jesus called mammon, which he referred to as an idol. It was a God, little g, in the world that they lived in. Now, you might say to me, well, well Ben, is it, not, it, it, is it not okay to have money? I'm just saying it's not okay for money to be your God. So you need to make sure that you're not making excuses. See, the Lord wants to have disciples who he at any time could say, sell your car and give the money to where I want you to get. He wants it all to be on the altar because he has purposes that you and I can't see. We'll say, why do you want me to do that? He won't always explain us explain to us the why. If he did, I mean, it, our mind would just be like, uh, boom, it just pop. You can't, he, it, I mean, if we could hear the Lord sometimes, he'd probably say, you can't be me. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, a, you just can't be me. You can't fully know what I know. You just follow where I'm going. That's what I'm asking you. It's about trust. It's about trust. So we don't always know what the Lord's going to do, but if we can hear what the Lord's saying and we can follow him, 
we'll, we'll see the fruit or the results that disciples should see. That, that's the thing. And caring about people and following Jesus into the disciple-making mission is what we need to be about. This is, I, I, I want to convey this burden to you. If I haven't, I'm, I'm, doing, my, I'm doing my best to, to, to get you there. I mean, this might mean that you, um, you got people living in your home. This might mean that, uh, well, it will mean that your life's going to be inconvenienced. It will mean that. Let me just make sure that you understand that. You're going to inconvenience your life. You're going to give, your kids need to understand. When you, if you don't have kids, when you raise your children, you can't tell your kids to do stuff you don't do. They just don't, they're not, you can't convey a burden upon them that you yourself aren't willing to walk in. It doesn't happen. You can't tell your kids, be good, and then mom and dad go do whatever. You can't tell them, serve, and mom and dad don't serve. You can't read the Bible, and you struggle with reading the Bible. You got, I mean, it's just not, you, you, being a disciple ourselves is how we help make disciples of others, all right? That fundamentally has got to be locked in, and we can't have, like, secrets in the closet, okay? We can't have, like, this fake life going on over here and then, like, we're smart disciples and we know everything. That's how people get by. That's how people go under the radar when it comes to Christianity because Christianity has become all about theology. It's, all, it's become all about how smart people are and, and how much Bible you know and, and the nuances that you know. It doesn't, doesn't mean you live it at all. If, I mean, one of the things that I've said is, is I, want, I want to be inspired by your life. I'm not inspired by people's words anymore. I can tell you, I, I'm, I was going to say I have a good BS detector. I'm not sure if that's a good thing to say. Is that an okay thing to say? I, it's sort of out there already. Oh, okay. But, but I'll tell you what, if you're in church, you've got to have that. You've got to have that, okay? And I, I don't, because I, I don't want to cuss, but I'm just saying you, there's a lot of that stuff. And so what we're after, I'm not saying I'm living it perfectly, but I'm after it, man. I'm, I'm asking you to join. I'm asking you to care about this. It's about caring about people. We can't just quote, God, love God, love people. Amen. Love God, love people. And that means whatever we think want it to mean. That means that you, you, friend, are going to be inconvenienced by people. You cannot quote, love your enemies and not mean it. Don't do that to yourself. That's called self-deception. I'm preaching another message soon called dead faith. <laughs> right? He sa James said, what did he say? In James chapter 1, he said, uh, he talked about showing your faith by your works. He wasn't talking about salvation comes by works, but he was saying, if you say you have faith, but you don't have works, your faith is dead. Right? So Jesus talked about a good tree bears good fruit. So the facts are in the fruit. The proof is in the fruit. Y your mirror is your fruit. You don't have to have perfect fruit. You don't have to have uh, loads and loads and loads and, uh, of fruit. But you've got to have some fruit. And, and, and here's the first fruit that you and I need to have if we can be honest tonight. That we haven't engaged this mission at all, at all, on any level. And I'm not saying you need to run out and have 100 disciples, because that's, I'm going to share with you in a moment, that's probably not going to happen anyways. That's just, that's just not going to happen. But we need to be engaged in the effort of making disciples. It, it's even where, it's, it's even where we, we have to put our money. It's even where we, I mean, bam, okay. I, I got to land here. I got to land. I sit here sometimes, and, and I, go, I go from church meeting to church meeting, from conference to conference, 
And I sit there and I watch these like really, today we got these really slick videos, don't we? It's like humanitarian aid videos and here's this cause and here's that cause and this ministry, this effort, this thing, doing this in this country, whatever. There's really, really nice videos, you know, just a slick package. But I wonder if we ask the question, does that organization do anything to preach the gospel and make disciples? I mean, is that even in what they're doing? And you you could say, well, you're being critical. Yeah, I kind of am. I I actually am. See, because we get wowed by the cause, but we don't ask the questions as to whether or not they're concerned uh, and commissioned in the very thing that Jesus said for us to do. Here's what's going to happen. A vacuum gets created when people don't make disciples. A vacuum gets created, and the next generation has to relearn all the things that we learned. And it's our fault. It's our fault because we didn't parent our children in the things of God, because we didn't raise the generation. We criticized the generation, and we didn't raise them up. And if I swear, if I hear another person talk about the millennial generation, I'm going to freak out. I mean, I just am done. I am done. I mean, who in the world wants to be an authority on the bad of the next, of the la- the next generation? It's terrible thinking to even want to talk like that. I see another video. Hey, listen, you got problems too, okay? And if you can't recognize that, you should probably start looking in the mirror. That's, that starts with you and that starts with me. We spend too much of our energy and too much of our effort and too much of our money and too much of our time in the wrong places for the wrong reasons. Here, here's my point. You can criticize people well, but have you, have you gone out of your way to care for, love, support, be generous towards, influence, sp- teach, speak, baptize? Have you gone out of your way to do any of that? Because the last time I checked, when we're reading this, this is what Jesus told us to do. I mean, I'm not asking you to have false hope. I'm just saying that's what changes the generation. That's what changes people's lives is to roll the sleeves up and get involved. So that's what I'm telling you to do. Now, practical steps for disciple makers. First thing is you got to choose someone. Now, here's what you would say to me. Well, Ben, what if nobody wants to be my disciple? I'm going to guarantee you there's not probably a lot of people that want to be your disciple. So let's just settle that. What, what I'm not telling you to do is, is, is go formally sign up a disciple. Hey, do you want to be my disciple? No, I don't want to be like you. I'm already better than you. I mean, most people might say that. To, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, they, they're probably thinking it. So because you, they, you haven't done anything for them. If your life doesn't inspire them, they, they don't want to enter into this, like, formal relationship with you, okay? So it's not, it's not about going and signing somebody up for your program. But you've got to lay hold of someone in your life. Who is in your life that you can minister to? And it doesn't have to be a formal thing. Who is in your life? And a lot of times, if you, want, if you want to know my opinion, a lot of times it's somebody that has some need. Somebody will come along. You start praying, God put somebody in my life. He's not going to put somebody in your life that wants to know all of your vast knowledge. Oh, you're so amazing. You're so smart. Can you just teach me everything you know? This, this is so awesome. No, he's going to put somebody in your life. It's, it, could be, uh, it could be somebody that's in a difficult spot. It could be somebody that, that has totally wrecked their life, and they need somebody to help put, back, put the pieces back together. All right? This is what I'm talking about. And you might say, oh, man, I'm way out of my league. Of course you are. Jesus said, I'm with you. I'm with you. You're, you're not doing it because you're the smartest person. 
You're not doing it because you've been there, done that. Stop thinking that. Like, I've been there and done that, so I have the right to speak into this. You have the right to speak into somebody's life if you care. You know, not just because, oh, you've, you're a drug addict? Oh, I've been a drug addict, so I'm gonna, I can help you. No, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that. I mean, if you care, you can walk with somebody. You can help somebody. You, you understand what I'm saying? Now, I- again, maybe formally, they may not want you to be their dis- discipler. But that's not the issue. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking to you about choosing someone. Jesus called together a small community. Um, he wasn't after the crowds. Matter of fact, Jesus was really good at dividing crowds. I mean, I think that, like, if we had Jesus' church growth model today, we would probably wouldn't have a lot of buildings, you know, because he just knew how to cut the crowd in half. That's what he did. He would, people would be following him, and then he would say something crazy, and they, they'd be like, what did he just say? You know, and then the crowds were no longer following him, and he'd look at his disciples, you want to leave too? Like, well, we, we ain't got nowhere to go now. <laughs> you know? We're sort of locked in, Lord. Sometimes people come to you, but most of the time, especially when you're starting out, you got to pursue people. <clears throat> and if you, if you ask me, you'd start with people that are in grave need because you definitely can give something. And it's not always just advice. Can I tell you if you find your worth in just being an advice giver, you got to grow beyond that. you got to grow beyond that. Learn how to serve. Jesus told his disciples in John 13 to wash feet. And he washed their feet, and he said, as I have done to you as your master and Lord, now go and do to others. You have a problem with serving, you have, you, you have a problem with following Jesus. That's what you have a problem with. Because I guarantee you, you will become an incredible discipler because you start meeting needs of people in your life. That's how you become an incredible disciple. That's what opens the door for them to want to hear what you have to say, right? The old saying, people don't care about what you know until, until they know that you care, right? We say that, but it's actually really true. The second thing is give vision. And we quote the verse, uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 39. And this is where Jesus gives them this parable. He says, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he's been fully trained, will be like his teacher. Isn't it amazing how Jesus gave them a vision? He was saying to them, like, I want you to be fully trained. I want you to be like me. And this was this idea, rabbi, student. And again, if people don't think of you that way, it's okay, but like, your goal is to pass on what you have. That's the point. I, I see vision for this person. And if you have this relationship with somebody where you are a discipler in their life, it's like the heart of a father or a mother to provide for, to care for. You don't want something from someone. You want to give to them. You've got to change that. You don't, you're not trying to get something out of this. You're trying to give everything to them. There's a difference. right? Paul even says that to the Corinthians. He was like, I've, I've cared for my own livelihood. I didn't take any money from you, right? As a father, I wanted to be a contributor towards you. I could have taken a share of money because I'm a traveling apostle evangelist, but I didn't because I'm like a father. I wanted to provide for you, wanted to care for you. So he was saying I'm trying to contribute. But the point is, is that we want to give vision. We want people to grow. And I think that if you're going to walk with people, it's not about getting coffee with somebody once a week and saying, how you doing? Okay? That's not, that's not making disciples, that's just asking how you're doing. Now, it might start there, but that can't be your vision, all right? That's just, I mean, I, I swear, sometimes um, that's what I do end up doing, but I'm like, I use that time, like, hey, so how, how's your, how's your, how's, how are you doing? And they go, I'm doing great. And I go, how are you doing with the Lord? And they're like, well, you know, I don't know how you could be doing different because you've got one life, but it, if you ask that question, how are you doing with the Lord, you get a different answer. So you got to start... 
you know, have you, have you been in the word and, and uh, have you been coming to God in prayer? And have you been, is there, have you been baptized? <laughs> right? Can I pray? We pray together. Always when you're gathered with somebody, don't just drink coffee, pray. You know, be the annoying person. Like, oh, they want, every time I meet with them, they want to pray. They will, people will remember that about you. There's a lot of people that can get together for coffee. But who, who are going to be those that pray with folks? Ask them the hard questions. Didn't Jesus ask people hard questions? Didn't he ask them hard questions? He, he, he asked some really tough questions, unnecessary questions in my estimation at times. But he was doing something more than just stating the obvious. The other is build relationship. Jesus built relationship with his disciples. He lived life with them. You've got to invite people into your life. You can't just invite people uh, Monday night at 7 p.m. for coffee. It's got to go beyond that. Amen. It's got to go beyond that. People have to feel welcome in, in your, your home or, or the place where you live or the person that you are. People got to know you beyond just coffee time. You can um, just invite them into little pieces of your life. Or, and I think um, if I were to be honest with you, I know you can't do that with everybody, but you've got to do that with some people. People have to be in your life. All right. And for Bridget and I, that has equaled having people live in our home for Almost the entirety of our marriage, uh, which I grew up in a home where we had 20 something people throughout my childhood live with us at different times. And so it was normal to me. That was just the way that we were. People come over at Thanksgiving. That's just we, we don't have like this really cool family thing that we do uh, where it's just us and our family. Everybody's family. We invite people in. That's who we are. And so that's the way that we want to cultivate our lives is to invite people in. Adopt a way of thinking where you invite people into your life, and you have to prepare your home to be that way. Now, I'm not suggesting you could turn the light on overnight. Some of you have are married, you have spouses, and you have to talk through what this looks like. But please pray through what your life would look like if you start inviting people into your family, if you invited people into your world, and it wasn't just me and our little unit and then our remote immediate family and our get-togethers. What if life just, you just blew that whole model up, and all of a sudden, you became a home, a place of refuge, a house that was filled with peace, and people came in and just, you know, whoa, that lives were changed. I mean, what if that's what you cultivated? It'd just be a totally different thing. And so I think that, um, and I would also tell you this in terms of building relationships, I almost have no relationships with people that I had from programs. I've had hundreds and hundreds of interns. I mean, we've, we've, we used to have a summer program where there were like 50 interns every summer. And we had more of a full-time program throughout the year, but I had like 50, 60, 70 interns during, I mean, the ones that came into our home, the ones that we spent time with, those are the ones that are connected to us, the ones that we built relationships with, okay? It's not about programs. Programs are facilitating and organizing. That's fine. We can do all that. But at the end of the day, people got to know us and we got to know them, all right? Life on life discipleship is what we need to be focused on. Now, the, the last, oh, I have two more things. Invest well. You, can dis, uh, you can't disciple people without investing into them. That's going to mean money. That's going to mean time. That's going to mean energy, effort. It's going to mean a lot of things. You've got to be where people are at. You've got to care about where people are at and help them where they're at. And I would ask you, who are you investing in right now? Who are you investing in? Who comes to your mind? If the answer is no one, it's fine. It's just where you've got to start. And that's just the honest answer. It's okay to be Nobody, but it's, it's not okay to stay nobody. <laughs> you, you've got something 
God's calling upon you to give that away. And seasons change, right? Maybe you had a season where you were investing highly into a lot of people, and then you changed your, the chapter changed, and now you don't have that as much. Well, God's going to lead you to the next place and the next person, so you just have to pray into that. Send to multiply. There comes a point where a person that you disciple needs confidence to step into their calling. And I can remember how this practically works in my life is where I've, you know, trained a lot of people up at like in vocational ministry. or I've trained a lot of people up in the things of the spirit, the things of the Lord. And when I take people with me, you know, sometimes uh, I want them to start stepping out or I want them to start serving or I want them to start doing something. And that's the point is at some point we got to teach other people to do the thing that we're doing with them. That's what Jesus did. He gathered a group, small group of people. He discipled them. And then he says, I want you to go do the same thing. That's the commission that we read in Matthew 28, 18. And we've got to do the same thing. At some point, we, I, I tell people that I disciple, I want to disciple you to the point where we're friends, not just I'm your discipler mentor and you're always my disciple mentee. That's, that's not the way that works. I, I want to disciple people unto friendship. That's my absolute goal. I also believe, I mean, I'm always going to be a father to my children, but I hope Hopefully, when they become adults, I want to be their friends, too. I want to have a relationship with them. And the joy of our life right now is that my um, our oldest son, Bridget, and I, uh, is 24. He's getting married in July 1st. And he's moving out. Amen? He's moving out. Praise the Lord. He's moving out. And, uh, and so one of the things is our joy is that we're doing their pre-marriage counseling. And I can't tell you how many people have told us, like, oh, that's just kind of weird. Like, that's. I said, really? Like, biblically speaking, like, we didn't demand this, but we offered it. Like, I have a vision to raise up my kids in such a way where they would want that. They would want what dad and mom have to say. Right? Amen? Don't you want your kids to, like, hey, I really want to hear what you have to say. Like, and so I get to hear my wife share awesome things and stuff that comes out of us. But it's, it's so cultural for people to say, that's just weird that you would, like, talk to. Like, that just seems strange. No, it seems Seems kind of like spiritual inheritance. So I can give all of my money when I die to my kids, but I can't give them everything in the life that I live. Like, they, real, so here's all my money that I saved, and you can have that, but I can't give you the other inheritance that I truly have, which is worth more than silver and gold. I, it's been a joy to do that, and, and I would never demand it of my children ever. Like, you must go through pre-marriage counseling with us. That would never happen. I mean, I'll make them feel guilty, but I won't, you know, I won't. But my, one of our goals is we want to raise our children where they would want that. They want that. So we're, I'm goofy. I'm spiritual. I'm strange. I'm, you know, we're, we're like the whole package. But, like, that's, that's, the, that's the heritage. That's the heritage of discipleship is that I also want them to carry that same, that same compelling inside them, that this is what we, this is who we are. This is what we do. We invite people into our family. We give everything that we have. This is this is how we follow Jesus, and there's not another way. There's I don't want to. I don't even want a lesser way. That's just not something that I can even um, that I can even think of. And I want to ruin. I want to ruin every lesser version for you. I just want to ruin it. Okay. That's if you leave and you just feel like what you're doing in Christianity. Like I'm not talking about loving, knowing Jesus, and like forgiveness for your sins. But I just want to ruin like our concepts and programs and like. All that stuff's fine, but, like, what I want to challenge you in is, like, is it discipleship? Is it discipleship? Are we just letting that tell us that something is happening that's not really happening? Right? 
is a discipleship. Hunger and thirst after discipleship, right? Hunger and thirst after making disciples of people. You say, Ben, I don't, I don't have a lot to give. You've got a lot to give. I've said it to you many times tonight. You've got a lot to give. Start with what you know. Start with what you have. Start with who's in front of you. Start right there. And until you're going to do that, you're not going to start discipling people. You just won't. That's where it starts. That's where it stays. And every chapter brings a new challenge. And that's where you find the presence of God. That's what he said. I am with you until the end of the age. You want to feel and experience the presence of God in your life? That's where you're going to feel and experience the presence of God in your life. Like no other time. It's right there when you're making disciples of people. Every frustration you feel, Jesus felt. Every difficulty you go through, Jesus did times 10. It's where you start to experience what he, what he goes through with us, what he goes through for us. Amen. Amen.